Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Our scripture today comes from Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom, and also in a written edict declared, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of those among you who are of his people, may their God be with them, are now permitted to go up to Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let all survivors in whatever place they reside be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, with goods and with animals, besides freewill offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. The heads of the families of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites Everyone whose spirit God had stirred got ready to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors aided them with silver vessels, with gold, with goods, with animals, and valuable gifts. Besides all that was freely offered, King Cyrus himself brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had them released into the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the inventory. Gold basins, 30. Silver basins, 1,000. Knives, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Other silver bowls, 410. Other vessels, 1,000. The total of the gold and silver vessels was 5,400. All these Sheshbazar brought up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. It is so interesting to me, the pieces of our story we like to remember, like the record of the spoils of war that were counted and remembered and retold. Doug, I'm so thankful you read all of those um, pieces. We're not going to talk about the second half of the scripture this morning. That'll have to be for another sermon. But we will focus on the first half. But thank you for saying all the hard words and reminding us of how particular and maybe peculiar our different versions of our history can be. A lot can happen in 70 years. 70 years ago, Queen Elizabeth was crowned. The Korean War ended. The communist suspicion had our nation captivated and afraid. The polio vaccine was invented. The first color television sets made their way into homes. The first Corvette rolled off the assembly line and onto sales lots. I was checking for Roger's confirmation. 
70 years ago, of a new house was $9,550. I would take that. A new car was $1,650. Average annual income was $4,000. A gallon of gas was 20 cents. Again, sign me up. A pound of hamburger meat was 53 cents. And a dozen eggs would set you back 25 cents. 70 years ago, we were still 69 years away from chat GPT. We were 50 years away from the invention of Tesla. We were 54 years from the first iPhone. We were 48 years from September 11th, 2001. We were 30 years from the beginning of the Greystone mission here and 31 years from the charter that made us officially Greystone Baptist Church. 70 years ago, we were still 28 years before the first PC. We were 16 years away from Neil Armstrong's first steps onto the surface of the moon and nine years from getting John Glenn into orbit. We were 11 years before dancing to the music of the Jackson 5 and 45 years before we would dance to the music of new boy bands like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. 70 years ago, we were still seven years from Kennedy's election and 10 from his assassination. We were two years from America's entry into the war in Vietnam, and we were still one year away from the overturning of Brown versus Board of Education, ending the separate but equal doctrine that ruled the land. Y'all, a lot can happen in 70 years. Though it may seem uh, it may sound long here, that list that I just read to us. It is quite abbreviated when you think about it. It doesn't even begin to tell the whole story of what has happened since 1953. Would you ever want to go back to time travel? Would you ever want to just wake up in 1953 and pick up where we left off? You know, remember, no iPhones, no computers, no advances from the civil rights movement, but also perhaps without the aches and pains that we might feel if we were around for many of those 70 years. You know, the Israelites lived in exile for 70 years before the Lord stirred up the spirit. I love that language. Before the Lord stirred up the spirit of the Persian king Cyrus, prompting him to issue the famous edict which declared the people could come on home from Babylon. It was a joyous occasion, a long-awaited homecoming, but 70 years before that, the scene in Jerusalem was one of utter devastation. The temple was destroyed, decimated by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, which was interpreted by the people, of course, as God's punishment for their sins. And in that destruction, the people lost not only a beloved institution or a beautiful building, but in that destruction, they also lost the very means of their connection with God. God's house was that temple. That temple was where God lived, and without it, the relationship between the people and their God was gone. The relationship was broken. 
And this loss was nothing short of devastating. For 70 years, the people lived in the rubble of their devastation. And so this might explain why the decree from Cyrus announcing the return of exiles shows up so many times in our Bibles. It's in Ezra. It's in Nehemiah. It's in 2 Chronicles. We find the different stories of the retelling of that particular moment in history. Some of the stories are quite optimistic. They are describing the rebuilding of the temple and its altar, after which the people in one voice sing out songs, singing, for God is good and God's love endures forever. That's the song we hear in Ezra 3. It's the same song that they sang at the dedication of Solomon's temple all those years ago when the glory of God appeared in dramatic fashion. But this time, the traditional songs were not met with the same level of unbridled praise. No, this time they were mingled together with the tears of those longing for the past. Those who had seen the temple in its former glory found it impossible to celebrate the the new foundation. And so as some were singing with joyous tone, others wept at the sight of the temple in its new state. Though the temple was being rebuilt, and this is what they'd been waiting for, praying for, hoping for, the temple being reborn, uh, rising, so to speak, from its ashes right before their eyes. Though their desires and their longings were being met right in front of them, they just could not rejoice because they could not move through their grief over the temple that was. They couldn't celebrate the thing that was becoming because of their grief for what had been lost. Have you ever felt that way? A lot could happen in 70 years. And to pretend like the people of God could just pick back up where they left off would be a bit of a joke, or at least a little bit naive, if we're being honest. I mean, everything had changed, and nothing would ever be the same again. These stories that remind us of that truth, of that everything is changing, that nothing will ever go back to the way it used to be, these stories that characterize exodus and exile, they make up so much of the Old Testament. And each one is an ancient interpretation of God's relationship with the people, God's provision and God's blessing, and also God's punishment, and then God's presence in the lives of God's own people. These times of wilderness and exile are filled with uncertainty and change, and yet these stories take up so much space in our Bible that ought to tell us something. These are times of growth and learning. They're times of trial and brokenness, and yet these are also so often precisely the moments where God's presence takes on new, unique, and exciting forms. Do you remember the story of the Exodus as the people are wondering how God shows up to lead them? Pillars of cloud and fire. I'd love to have been there. 
Much like the the different Gospels tell the different stories of Jesus' life, or, or tell the same stories but offer different perspectives, the stories of Babylonian exile and the return under King Cyrus, like the one we read a moment ago, they offer us these nuanced perspectives on this historic event, different lenses through which to interpret and read and revisit the past. But through it all, through all the different narratives, there is a common theme. A divine thread, if you will, woven through all the pain and the promise, stitching and mending together, exile and return, banishment and homecoming. And this thread, of course, that weaves it all together, can you guess it? God's ever-presence. No matter what, no matter wherever they are, no matter what they have been through, if the people have been on their best behavior, following every letter of Torah law, or whether their lives have been a bit of an absolute disaster, broken in every way, God is with them. Whether they made it to church that morning or not, whether the temple, which was the very house of God, was in shambles or the foundations were just being laid, God was with them through it all. And friends, that is good news. That is good news because if we believe that the Bible is true, If we believe that these ancient stories have any authority for our lives at all, then it means that we too are the inheritors of a faith that has taught us time and time again that through everything, though everything may change, God is faithful still. God is here with us. God will always be with us, no matter what. End of story. But that's not the way the story ends. You see, a lot happened in that 70-year period of time. But God wasn't done yet. You see, the story of the relationship between God and God's beloved people is a story of perpetual becoming. Time marches on, and things keep changing, keep moving forward, whether we like it or not. And God is in the middle of it all, working with us and within us and through us, making us new. New creation is the New Testament language for that. That is exactly what God is doing in the text. As the people come back to Jerusalem to rebuild their lives, God is at work making something new, creating life where there seemed to be only death, building up a foundation where there seemed to be only decimation, new life for a new day, built with a plan for a new people and a new temple atop the broken foundation of the past. A lot can happen in 70 years. Well, we haven't made it 70 years yet. I mean, some of us in the room probably have, I will venture to guess, but we as a people have not made it 70 years together. As a church, we've made it 39, which Today, kind of in our average lifespan, means that as a church, Greystone is becoming kind of middle adult. 
You know, it means that we're no longer enjoying the new pieces of adulthood, like getting that first big girl job or buying the first house, right? Those days are gone. Now our stage of collective adulthood is a little more painful and mundane, you know, like replacing the HVAC unit or repairing the roof. I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but it's also kind of true. We haven't made it 70 years, so we can't look back with that kind of deep-seated wisdom and perspective. But we can still look back. And I think it's good and healthy to look back, to remember where we started, and to make note of what God has done in our short 39 years together. So let's look back. 39 years ago, do you remember what was happening? 1984, 1983, 39 years ago, the global economy was in flux. Do you remember that? We were struggling to rebound after the most severe recession since World War II. Unemployment rates were high. Inflation was high. People were scared and uncertain. Sound familiar? This would have been a good time for us to play it safe to hold on tightly to our personal resources and to wait for better days to come before we took a risk. But it was precisely into that moment of uncertainty that the mission of Greystone was born. Not only was the economy in distress, I don't want that to characterize that whole moment in history, but let's not forget that our own people, the Baptists, we were also experiencing a small amount of turmoil from 79 to 90-something, right? Some of you were there. The Baptists were kind of imploding, pitting sides of liberal and conservative against one another as if the two theological sisters hadn't been living in the same house all along. We had reached a breaking point. One had to go, and the other could stay, and the dividing line was clear. We were going to divide over whether women could preach and teach or not. I think it's obvious where Greystone has landed on that issue for the past 39 years, but just in case you need a little bit of historical documentation, I brought our history book, and I would like to share with you some of the language that I found when I went to read this book about five years ago. A lot can happen in 39 years. And remembering our story is super important because remembering our story tells us something of who we have always been. Something of the, the kind of DNA that makes Greystone who she is. And so I want to read to you a little bit from page 28. Frequently, this is recurring, or, or this is talking about the first search committee uh, who set out to hire our first pastor. Frequently, they referred to the prospective pastor as he slash she, implying that they would consider both men and women. I could stop there, but for fun, I want to keep reading. They wanted someone who was well-groomed and nice-looking. Thank you. I thought that was hilarious. They wanted a person between the ages of 30 and 45, someone with degrees from a recognized, accredited seminary, and a good preacher. 
I won't speak to the well-groomed and nice-looking part, but the fact that our value toward openness and inclusion was so boldly apparent right in the middle of the Baptist controversy over that very thing, Greystone said, no, this will be a place where women and men are equally called. And friends, our story did not end there. We kept on moving forward in faith, trusting in God and trusting one another. Friends, God isn't done with us yet. Because just like the stories of old that we read in the pages of our Bibles, ours is a story of perpetual becoming. A story of a God who loves us too much to let us die on the vine of sameness and stuckness. A God who wants us to grow and change and thrive and become the kind of church that our world needs now, today. And even better, maybe the kind of church our world is going to need tomorrow. A church that sees beyond the challenges of prior generations and previous iterations. A church that can stand proudly as a bridge between the pain of loss and the promise of a future guided by the Holy Spirit. A church that is a house of rest and a place of renewal for all people. A church that is open and a spiritual home for every kind of migrant who is seeking sanctuary. A church that was born into a broken an uncertain world, but still articulates a bold vision for a different kind of church. A church that could be a home for all the people of Northwest Raleigh. A church that would not be divided by leading controversies of the day, but whose stake would already be planted in the ground of welcome, saying, God calls men and women equally into service. Friends, that is our story. That is our heritage. That is who we are. And so we stand here today with our feet planted in the present and our gaze spanning between the past and the future. We stand here today, exiles, returning home after some time of distance. Maybe it's been a week, maybe it's been a month, maybe a year or more, but maybe it's a good time to tell and retell the stories of our courageous beginnings. A different kind of church. A church where everybody is welcome. A church where every member is a minister in their own right. And maybe while we reminisce, while we remember the good old days, we might also remember that a lot can happen in 39 years. A lot. Especially when the Lord gets to work stirring up those spirits, you know. A lot can happen in 39 years, friends. Look at all God has already done right here. Can you even imagine what might be next? Every now and then, I think I get just a little glimpse of what might be on the horizon. All I know is this, though. God is here. God is here. 
The Spirit of God is at work here among these people and in this place. God is here and God has been here guiding us and comforting us, holding us together and giving us everything we need to rebuild this temple, this church, this house of God that is needed not only for today and for the people who have come to this space, but for all the people whom we do not yet know. God is building tomorrow's church right now. A lot can happen in 39 years. Lord, we only hope we can be a part of it. So help us become a bridge. Help us become a bridge, O oh God, one that spans the rubble of our past, acknowledging the painful losses, but planting our feet firmly in the promise of a bright future together with you. Amen. <laughs>